Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Let's start today's episode outside. It's a hot summer day and I'm on a hiking trail on the peninsula with reporter Amanda Font. Oh, I think I see it. All right. And here we are at the lovely Eaton Park Labyrinth in San Carlos. And so a labyrinth, if you're not super familiar, is a giant circle. And inside is a path that's coiled around and around in a specific way. If you walk it, you sort of go in towards the middle, then back out around the edge, then back in towards the middle, then back out, and eventually end up in the center. So it's not like it winds around like a big spiral. It actually sort of goes in and out. Um, And this one is laid into the ground with bricks, probably for durability's sake. And we're here at this labyrinth because we got a question about it from a Bay Curious listener named Kate. She wants to know, why are there so many in the Bay Area? Because this is one of many that are around these parts. And is there a connection between them or do they just spring up? Well, that's what I'm going to go discover. Yeah, that's what we're answering today. So should we journey into this labyrinth? Yeah, let's do it. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Reporter Amanda Font set out to learn more about labyrinths and uncover if there's a reason there are so many in the Bay Area. It's hard to trace the exact origin of labyrinths, but they've been popping up in art and cultural texts for 4,000 years or more. One of the most well-known stories with a labyrinth is the ancient Greek myth of the Minotaur. 
a monster with the body of a man but the head of a bull, who was trapped in a giant labyrinth. The Minotaur is eventually killed by the hero Theseus, who finds his way out of the labyrinth's winding passageways by tying a string to the entrance and following it all the way back. But if you're Gen X or a millennial like me, you're probably more familiar with the 1986 film Labyrinth. Is that the castle beyond the Goblin City? Starring a young Jennifer Connelly. Turn back before it's too late. And David freaking Bowie Don't as Jareth, the I Goblin can. King, who kidnaps her baby brother and hides him at the center of his giant labyrinth. You have 13 hours in which to solve the labyrinth before your baby brother becomes one of us forever. That was my favorite movie as a kid. But the funny thing about both these examples is neither one is a true labyrinth. They're mazes. A labyrinth intends for you to find your way while a maze inspires you to lose your way. A lot of times I hear people from Europe or the UK refer to a labyrinth as a maze. And in that case, it's also kind of right because it's a universal maze, which means there's one path. This is Maya Scott. I'm partnered with an amazing, spicy little golden retriever named Gleam. And she's my fourth guide dog. I teach accessible theater and art and movement for City College of San Francisco. Uh, And I also am an adult program coordinator at the Lighthouse for the Blind. And she's a lover of labyrinths. Maya's labyrinth origin story goes back almost 20 years, when she first had the opportunity to walk a large, portable labyrinth painted on canvas. And I remember the first thing I thought was, wow, they're going to let me walk around on this great piece of art. It's gorgeous. But as she traversed its winding, universal path, she found herself getting sort of lost. And I kept on getting spit out the entrance, and it really frustrated me. Um, I have partial sight. I can see a little bit. My sight is kind of like an impressionist painting. She says she was giving herself a hard time about not being able to stay on the path. You're supposed to not be able to get lost in a labyrinth. It's one way in, you take the same way out, you get to the center, you know, bada boom, there we go. She did eventually make it to the center, in spite of her frustration. But it wasn't until a couple weeks later that she had a realization. I was the lucky one. And I was the one who got to be longer traversing that and dancing around that beautiful piece of art. um, Because I couldn't get there. And it kind of taught me um, in life to really enjoy the journey and not be so fixated on the end result. Since then, Maya says, she's walked at least a hundred different labyrinths in the U.S. and abroad, and some of them many, many times. She loves the artistry of them. Oh, I love to geek out on labyrinth patterns. This is my favorite. Um, I love drawing labyrinths and unpacking the different types and stuff like that. Most labyrinth patterns fall into two main categories, classical and medieval. Classical-style ones have been found minted on coins dating back to 350 BCE from the ancient city of Knossos, near the origin of the Minotaur myth. My favorite pattern, I think, is tie between the Shepherd's Race Labyrinth and the Chakravayu Labyrinth. Both of them have spirals in the middle. And the Chakravayu Labyrinth um, seed pattern is what I used to create my hand labyrinth. Maya actually created a whole book of accessible tactile finger labyrinths with the American Printing House for the Blind. So, to answer Kate's question, I asked Maya, are there more labyrinths in the Bay Area than other places, and why? 
Yes, I believe so for a couple of different reasons. Uh, for one, we're a very holistic community. We are um, open to a lot of different modalities for healing, and the labyrinth is a fabulous tool for that. But there's another big reason. Some people consider Grace Cathedral sort of the mothership of the U.S. labyrinth movement uh, that kind of got things started. Lauren Artris brought the labyrinth to Grace Cathedral. The Reverend Dr. Lauren Artris is a big proponent of labyrinths for spiritual healing. She brought the labyrinth to Grace, the Episcopal Church atop Knob Hill, in 1991, first in canvas form, then eventually set into the stone floor inside the cathedral. Artris says the labyrinth arrived at Grace at a time when people really needed it. We were in the middle of the AIDS crisis moving into the epidemic, and I was canon pastor. It was just really such a a very frightening time. And I knew intuitively that we needed something that people could do together, prayerfully or a meditation, however you understand the labyrinth, and to be able to do it something non-verbally. And so the labyrinth really uh, became a very, very important tool and it has been ever since. Around the same time, Artris also founded Veriditas, an organization that trains labyrinth facilitators and teaches people how to build and tend them in different environments. Uh, We're continually training people, both in how to introduce the labyrinth to your community, but also how to build labyrinths. And now the materials are going to last far outlast our lifetime. And, And that's, I think, one of the cornerstones of why there's so many labyrinths. So this new modern labyrinth movement began in the Bay. Grace Cathedral also has a labyrinth guild, which Maya Scott is a part of, which hosts monthly candlelit walks on the pattern there. I met Maya and Gleam on a fairly quiet afternoon inside Grace Cathedral to spend some time admiring the winding pathway. And if you've never been to this iconic church, no judgment, because I've lived in the Bay for nine years, six of those in San Francisco, and this was literally my first time inside the building. It truly is awe-inspiring in here. A long stone cathedral lined with stained glass windows cascading watercolor light on the floor, with an immense Gothic-style vaulted ceiling, which creates incredible acoustics. Every little sound reverberates for so long, I find myself immediately whispering. Okay, we don't have to whisper, I don't think. Um, There's no rehearsals going on, right, Jude? The labyrinth is beautiful. It's a copy of the one at Chartres Cathedral in France, which has adorned the floor of that church since 1221. The pattern is set into the stone floor near the entrance of the church, illuminated from above. Maya has walked this one dozens of times. She likes to traverse it barefoot. This particular labyrinth has 11 circuits, which means it goes around the center 11 times. There are lots of switchbacks that twist and turn um, the single path to the center and back again. And at the center of the labyrinth is a rosette with six petals. Some people associate that with the sacred feminine and there's yet others that put symbolism to each of the petals. Gleam usually waits for Maya in the center rosette. Today she finds something else to occupy herself, her own fluffy tail, which she is chasing in circles around the center of the labyrinth. <laughs> she caught it. <laughs> there's this 
wonderful circular energy that happens in the labyrinth, and my guide dogs have all gotten it. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> filled with joy. Yes, <laughs> release. It's a place of release. <laughs> they often say that walking a labyrinth is a threefold process of releasing, receiving, and returning. So we've got some release happening here. <laughs> An upside down guide dog in the middle of the labyrinth. <laughs> Labyrinths have spiritual and philosophical significance to a lot of people, including the non-religious. You can often find them in natural spaces, out in the woods, along the coast, in gardens. So as far as spirit goes, definitely to me, being out in the woods or being out in the, under the open sky is tantamount to being in a cathedral. And the labyrinth itself, uh, for a lot of us, represents um, and holds sacred space. It's a, a vessel um, where one can be safe and where one can process. Maya says that when she went to church as a kid, because she has a disability, she was considered broken. And that pushed her away. But labyrinths helped her reconnect to her sense of spirituality. For me, it brings a sense of body positivity as well, where uh, one's movement through space, one's choreography um, through the labyrinth um, is a ritual that goes along with the prayer or the meditation. For me, it makes me feel I am part of something sacred and not broken. And we've reached the center of the labyrinth and the end of our journey today. Yeah, so... The modern labyrinth movement being based in San Francisco has a lot to do with why there are so many in the Bay and in these beautiful natural spaces as well as around churches. But maybe that's not the only reason because one of the most well-known labyrinths up near Sibley Volcanic Regional Preserve, that one was built in 1990, so before this modern labyrinth movement was founded. So maybe there's just good labyrinth energy in the Bay. G-L-E. I like it. <laughs> Amanda Fawn, thank you so much for teaching us all this today. Thank you, Olivia. It was nice walking this path with you. Now, how do we get out? The same way we came in. All right, here we go. But do it double time. <laughs> Bay Curious is made by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Amanda Font, and me, Olivia Allen-Price. Our social video intern is Darren Too. Our show is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hi there, I'm Randa Adir from Throughline. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.